Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the podcast where we talk about audiology and how it relates to your life. What does it mean if your child has a hearing loss? How does that affect your family, your relationships, and your connection to that child? Where hearing loss intersects with parenting and also talking to the other side, the professionals. A lot of students listening, international students studying audiology, speech pathology, and deaf education here listening to the podcast, and many professionals, all of the people who are so devoted to caring for your child. We are all in this all about audiology community together. I'm so grateful that you're a listener, and I wanna invite you over to the Facebook group where we're always having great discussions and go and start a thread over there. Introduce yourself. Tell us what your connection to audiology is and your favorite podcast or come and ask a question. Tell us about what's going on in your life with audiology. So come on in, join the All About Audiology Facebook group. And now we're going to jump into today's topic. Today's topic is no dumb questions. And I have to say, back by popular demand, I am bringing my husband in for another topic, another episode together. The last episode that we did together was all about therapy with my husband, Dr. Jonas Saperstein. And that episode quickly surpassed, in terms of downloads and listens, every other episode that came before it. So that was the most popular episode ever, and I'm really excited about that because therapy is something that um, I find to be very, very valuable, and you should go listen to that episode. It will be linked in the show notes. But today we are talking about asking questions, asking questions of your healthcare provider, asking questions when you get a diagnosis or when you're at the doctor's office. How does that affect your ability to advocate And do you sometimes feel like, hmm, maybe I can't ask a question or is my question too simple or too dumb? And I wanted to just bring up this uh, recent conversation that I had with one of you, a listener of the podcast, who shared with me that her son, who has a unilateral hearing loss, hearing loss in one ear, uh, said that when he was an infant and got this diagnosis, there was a good couple of days where she did not fully understand what the diagnosis was or what was going on. She was just overwhelmed with all this jargon and testing here and appointments there. And it took many days until someone actually explained to her that unilateral means one side. Until then, she had she had assumed or thought or was led to believe that the hearing loss was in both ears. And when she realized the diagnosis was actually completely different, um, and just because of not knowing this jargon term of unilateral, she all of a sudden had a very different response and a different intervention strategy, a different outlook uh, for a child with hearing loss in one ear versus two ears. And so I think this is an important topic. It comes up a lot. And I want to encourage you to ask questions and not be afraid. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jonas Aperstein. Hello, Lilach. How are you? I'm very good. So this is another one of those impromptu, you're in the middle of telling me stories. And I say, wait, put it on the podcast. <laughs> well, I'll start with a different story, not the story I was telling you, Lach. 
um, when I was in medical school. So the first two years of medical school, I basically spent um, in classrooms. I think they kind of changed the curriculum already. It's been a few years. Um, and then the third year, third and fourth year of medical school, you're basically in the hospital with in clerkships, which means that basically I got to be a student hanging out in the hospital with residents who are doctors in training after medical school and attendings, which is when the doctor finishes residency and is, as they call it, a full-fledged doctor. So on my second day as a student working in the surgical ward, the resident asked me to help her out. So she said, can you please call this particular department and ask them to perform a certain test? So I said, okay, how do you do it? And her response to me, this resident says to me, and I mean, I just started my clerkship. She says, don't ask questions, figure it out yourself. Asking questions is a sign of inadequacy. You mean, how how do you get in contact with the other department? Yeah. Like, what's the extension to call that? <clears throat> Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, how are you supposed to know that? Well, Wait, was there was there a list somewhere with all the extensions or something that you didn't know about? Apparently, there was. However, <laughs> I wasn't given any orientation. I was just dumped in there and told to do a task and not ask questions. Um, eight years later, here I am. I'm an attending physician, and I still find myself asking a lot of questions. And I personally do not think I am inadequate. Well, I. <laughs> I'm just, I can't get over this lady. She's like, don't ask me a question that isn't even Googleable. Like, that's an internal hospital policy thing. How should you know? It was your first day in the hospital? Second, actually. First, first day, they didn't ask me any favors. Second day. <laughs> so then, basically, the next thing I was going to talk about was um, the fact that, after, in light of this story, how I personally think it's very, very important to ask questions. First of all, I myself, despite the fact that I am an attending physician, I ask questions all the time. You know, there is a more senior physician than me in the clinic that I work at. And I ask her a lot of questions, you know, especially because two years ago we moved to another country and the system was very different. And I, you know, I was always asked questions. You know, there was actually the way it works in our clinic. There's a chat app kind of like, you know, Gchat, just, you know, protected, which means that you can... Um, talk about private patient information doesn't get released so it's kind of part of the emr yes electronic medical record the computer system yes um and so so you chat with so you can chat with your other doctors that you work with that are either senior to you or that you're senior to them but there's kind of this culture of if you have a question yes yes and i i I i chatted the senior physician a lot and sometimes she would even chat with me because, you know, occasionally, even though, in fact, even though she was many years practicing more than I was, sometimes she would actually ask me to come into the room just, you know, to get a second pair of eyes on the patient. Yeah. And sometimes younger or more recently trained doctors could have more up-to-date information from their training. That's also true, it, including the other staff, for instance, the nurses and the office staff. And we're always chatting each other. We're always asking questions. Sometimes if a patient asks me to do some sort of administrative thing, I have no idea how to do. I chat the, I chat the people in the front desk, and they would usually tell me what to do. Right. So I think that's exactly it. The asking of questions shows that you view the whole thing as a team, and the goal is to get the best care and get answers and not so much about if you specifically know it off the top of your head. I also know you share this often that you'll sometimes look up medication and dosage and things like that in front of the patient with them to say, I I know that this is the right medicine for what you're talking about. I'm just going to double and triple check before I actually put in this prescription and make sure that it doesn't um, coincide with some other 
medicine you're taking or, you know, just to do a double check on dosages, right? I do that all the time. The patients see me. I'll, you know, I'll, I, I will literally have the up-to-date application open in front of the patient. And this is a question of from the patient side. Now I'm asking all of you listeners, when you see a doctor who does something like that, does that make you feel more confident in their ability and trust them more and know, oh, they're going to double and triple check everything? Or do you sometimes have a feeling like, wait, does this person know what they're talking about? Because it can go both ways. It really depends on what the rest of the interaction is and your whole rapport with them and your whole trust with them. And I think that's where the issue of asking questions comes in. We get afraid that if we ask a question, we'll be seen as incompetent like this lady from your from that original um, hospital interaction, which is like, hey, student, don't ask questions because then you look dumb. But if you don't ask, how are you going to learn? Can we tell them the old joke? <laughs> oh, oh, of course. So there's a, there's a story. A kid asks his dad, Daddy, why is the sky blue? And the dad says, I don't know, son. Kid asks, I'm Daddy, why is the grass green? And the, I don't know, son. So then the kid asks again, Daddy, why why are the clouds white? And the father says, I don't know, son. The son says, listen, Dad, I'm, I'm really sorry. I keep asking you questions that you don't know. And the father says, no, no, please keep asking. If you don't ask, you don't learn. <laughs> if you, if Daddy, am I bothering you? <laughs> it's so funny. I, I actually want to make a very interesting point. I personally, you know, as a family doctor, would much prefer that patients do stay in contact with. You know, sometimes if I give a patient a medicine, like I'll start a new medicine, for instance, like a blood pressure medication, I will say to the patient, if you start to feel any side effects, contact the clinic immediately. If you have any additional questions, please feel free to contact me. You know, if the patient does not want to contact me and they're afraid to bother me, which I've had that sometimes, then the patient will take the answer, you know, if, if whenever I give an antibiotic, then the antibiotic must be taken for the full course. Sometimes the patient will have like sinusitis or an ear infection. I'll give the antibiotic and I'll be like, take twice a day for seven days. And usually I will specify to the patient, do not stop in the middle, take until the end. Occasionally, either may I, I may have forgotten to say it or the patient may have selectively not heard me say that. Um, or, and, you know, they take it for a few days, then they feel better and they're like, yeah, I'm done. So I don't need to take it anymore. Well, you, well you're not supposed to do that, everybody, because okay. taking the antibiotic for half the course will make the patient feel better, but it won't completely kill the bacteria and the infection may come right back. So really frustrates me when patients come in with ear infection, throat infection, sinus infection. I give them antibiotics and they come back around two weeks later with the same exact complaint. And they're like, no, I took the antibiotic for three days and felt better. So I'm like, um, and they're like, well, well, it, it started to get worse again, but I didn't want to bother you. I'm like, no, please bother me. Talk to me. This is how you get better. Please. I'd much rather be contacted. You know, patients will ask me all sorts of questions. Sometimes patients will confirm certain things that I thought I said, but I guess I didn't. And you know what? I'm not perfect either as a doctor. You know, I try to literally say every single point to every patient. I, I, I can't say that I'm totally successful. For instance, sometimes a patient will come to me with conjunctivitis and I'll give the patient eye drops and the patient will confirm, um, you put those in the eye, correct? And yes, you know, for some it may seem like a stupid question, but no, it's a very smart question because there are certain medicines which come in droplets which are meant to be taken by mouth. So for the patient, it was a very smart question to ask. And, in, and from my point of view, I'm so glad you asked because I literally do not want you taking this medicine the wrong way. It's important that you ask the question and confirm that you're doing it right. One time when I was in the hospital, 
I had, um, there was a patient with an outer ear infection, among, among other issues. So I had clearly given an order for acetic acid, that's blue vinegar, and I wrote odic. Odic means to the ear. And I, I even wrote, put in the, in the left ear. Apparently, whoever's job it was to administer the medicine did not bother asking a question or clarify. The patient complains the next day that her eyes burn. Oh, yeah, um, right. Apparently, the nurse who was tracked with caring for this patient did not read the order and put the vinegar in its eye. To treat their outer ear infection? Yeah. It's like, for goodness sakes, if you have a question, <laughs> ask. You know, not, if, you, if you ask enough questions, you have enough, you know, avenues of open communication. Yeah. And then everyone will know the same thing. If somebody is afraid to ask a question or communicate, then there will be lack of information. And that, will li- that can literally lead to disaster. Um, the acetic acid was a minor point. I've... I've seen I, I I've seen worse cases which I do not want to put on this podcast. Okay, so no dumb questions, but there can be dumb mistakes. I remember hearing that from a high school teacher who was a science teacher. It was the the day in lab, and Mr. Solat taught me a lot of earth science and chemistry in high school. And shout out to Mr. Solat. And he said two things in lab that I will never forget. His first thing was he taught us that when you heat something it gets hot. <laughs> and he said, we are going to turn on these Bunsen burners, young ladies. But let me tell you, they're fire. When you heat something, it gets hot. Then we put things on the Bunsen burner and then that gets hot because when you heat something, it gets hot. And he says, every year I give this entire story at the beginning, this little lecture about heating things and then they get hot, cause and effect. And, uh, you know, you're in high school by now, so you know about fire safety. And yet every year someone burns themselves touching a beaker. It's like, wait, it was glass. Yes, when you heat up glass, it gets hot. That was a total tangent. And I think about Mr. Solet all the time, every time I heat something, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to burn myself. But the second piece of that lecture on the first day of lab was there are no dumb questions, but there are dumb mistakes. And if you are going to cause... um, noxious fumes to be filling this lab that's a dumb mistake but if you want to ask a question you should so i think you know back to what you were saying that we as a as audiologists as speech pathologists and educators everything that we all of our goals basically are are geared towards communication and we want people to be able to have access to communication with their loved ones access to educational material access to the world around them and being able to communicate in whatever modality with other people. That's like a big tenet of our entire field of communication sciences. And sometimes we call them communication disorders because we look at what can go wrong. But, you know, the whole idea is to try and get good communication for our patients. And then we go and sometimes miss the mark in terms of communicating with the other side with our patients as professionals or with our providers when you are the parent or the family or the patient. So I I really think that this is a topic that's incredibly important about bridging this gap and opening the dialogue. And um, recently people were talking about how COVID has obviously uh, given us exponential growth of telemedicine where not everything requires a visit so much of medicine, so much of healthcare practice is quick in and out kind of questions or let me send you a picture or let me ask you about 
you know, here's the list of medications. Can I this or that? Or here's my list of symptoms. And of course, I'm sure you're going to come back and tell me the physical exam and actually seeing the patient is hugely valuable. Duh, we get that. But there is this whole other focus on how much can be done just by opening the lines of communication in addition to or outside of the physical face-to-face encounter. What do you think about that? I think that's an excellent idea. And that happens to me all the time. Like a, a lot of times, you know, I'll get a, you know, a chat from the people at the front desk saying, please call this patient. She has a quick question and she needs an answer immediately. You know, so when, when they say something like that, I'll stop what I'm doing, call the patient. And it, it'll take two seconds to be like, the, the, the medicine you gave me yesterday, do I have to take it with food or not? And, you know, very simple question, which... Um, usually if a medicine has specific directions, I will usually give the patient directions. But if there's no specific directions, then it's okay with food or okay without food. Sometimes I just, you know, won't say anything because I'm not thinking about it. So, you know, I'm so glad that this patient asked the question because otherwise, how are they to know? They're going to guess. Are they going to guess right? Are they going to guess wrong? What if this is a medicine that needs to be taken with food and the patient, and I didn't tell the patient anything and the patient guessed? So I personally was very glad that the patient called me and asked me the question and got the answer. I would also like to make another point, um, a little bit unrelated. One of my favorite um, patient interactions is when the patient comes in with a list. You know, the patient comes in to the appointment prepared with a list of questions. And the patient, you know, reads off the list and goes, Doctor, I have six questions for you. One, can you look at my right toe? Two, can you lift? can you look at my left nostril? Three, do you think it's a good idea to take vitamin D and vitamin C to protect me from Corona? And D, look at my bald spot. You know, so I, <laughs> I like, basically, the, you know, this, this is someone with a lot of questions, which are all, you know, very unrelated to each other. And of, of, of course, I, three of these, three out of four of these are things that I would have to see the patient for. Um, the answer to one of those questions, uh, do I have to take vitamin D and vitamin C? The answer is we don't really have enough information. There has been some studies that show that taking a vitamin D and vitamin C actually ha- can um, help a patient have lighter symptoms of coronavirus. However, the data is very, very scant. It's not a good double-blind study. So my answer to that question is usually it won't hurt, but I don't have enough information to say it actually works. Um <laughs> Which, tangent yeah which is a whole nother point of saying i don't know is one of the smartest things that very smart and educated people say because the more you know the more you realize how much you don't know or how much you can't know so that's like a huge tenant in research that we have a question usually or the research question is like super super obvious or dumb question like um I don't know if that's what I mean, if it's a dumb question, but the research question, uh, uh, many times when you read the actual question, you're like, duh, we already know the answer, or the the general wisdom will already give you the answer. But then we do the research anyway and try to find specific evidence to give us that answer. So even as researchers in in academia, the whole model of knowledge, of getting knowledge, of doing research, is asking questions. So let's start breaking more of that shame around coming in with a list of questions because you're not going to be that annoying patient or you're not going to be, you know, oh, I'm inconveniencing my audiologist when I come in with these articles or asking them things because now the audiologist can tell you exactly what it is that you want to know. I know sometimes uh, people will get frustrated when when somebody comes in with a 15-page article and says, doctor, I read this and doctor, I read that. 
and and some professionals will say, okay, here we go. This is going to waste some of my time. It doesn't frustrate me. It's good intellectual challenge. I'll have to read the article. You know, and usually I'll have an answer. One time my answer was, that's a really good article. Let me look into that. And turns out I actually did change the did change treatment based on the patient's article, which actually has happened. You know, just because I went to med school for four years doesn't mean I know everything. I, I learn things from patients all the time. Well, usually my answer is, that's an article from 10 years ago. I will show you an updated article. Yeah. And look at that, that there's such a level of trust that you can bring something and say, you, know, you don't have to hide things from your doctor or or say, oh, my doctor said this, but I don't believe them or I don't trust them or they're, they, they come from a different model. What if you open up the conversation and see, hey, there are certain controversies. Definitely you're going to have doctors that disagree th- about things. For sure, you're going to have audiologists that have different views on uh, communication methods and, and different things. However, if you don't even bring up the conversation with them, how can you know where they stand on those issues? that are then gonna affect you and your child. So when you have this level of trust, you can bring up things that maybe are more sensitive or you're maybe embarrassed to ask about. So it's not only about thinking you might be dumb, but also about thinking you might be like on the wrong side of something or you might be uh, judged for what you've been doing or what you're thinking. I know you have a story about about that. You wanna share that with us? Sure. Um, first of all, as an intro to my story, just on everything that Lilach was saying, lines that I often tell patients when they kind of feel a little embarrassed to ask a question is, you know, I often say, if you don't ask, how would you know? You know, and sometimes people ask me a question and then feel embarrassed about the fact that they ask you like, wait, is that a dumb question? You know, my answer is always, if you, if you didn't ask, how would you know? You put people, that's really a great, a great tip for, for providers to say you can ask anything. And, and sorry to interrupt you, but one more thing, you know how sometimes you have to ask certain things like, uh, are, did you take any recreational drugs and other maybe more sensitive questions? Are you pregnant? Right, these kinds of things. And I know that you say you preface that by saying I ask this question of all my patients. That's you know? correct. So I I think there's something there also with doctors who are asking patients questions also can put in some more of this like um, in in speech therapy you know or in auditory training we call this a carrier phrase. That's like, don't just say dog to try to teach your child this is a dog and just go around saying dog, cat, ball, more, cookie. But actually use a carrier phrase like, look at the dog. Here's a cookie. Let's go to the park. So you're giving context and giving much more um, language input instead of just like naming things. So um, I don't know why that just, you know, my audiology brain is working here. So sometimes when you're giving that context to the question it's not just like this brusque uh how old are you what are your symptoms what's wrong with you blah, 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 blah. you know just like rattling off your questions but you're actually doing that rapport building that trust building and you're saying the reason i'm asking you these questions is because it is relevant you know sometimes we ask did you have a major life event um a surgery or a car accident or a major stressor when we're talking about tinnitus or we're talking about a, a a noticeable drop in hearing and then the person will say yes it started around the time that and then there's that's very important medical history case history information so it goes both ways this podcast is the community where we come together from both sides and we're going to talk more about that at the end so stay tuned but back to your story all right so i i'll 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 tell the story and then i want to add an additional point so i'll tell the story first around two years ago i think it was actually 
um, I had actually brought my own kids in to get a flu shot in the clinic in which I worked. Um, at the time, a patient comes in. It was actually a patient who I'd seen for the first time. For the first time, and you know, she asked me some certain questions about you know her own medical history. And, okay, fine. And then they actually called me out while I was with her to hold my younger daughter down so that they would be able to put the <laughs> flu vaccine in her arm. Because I brought the kids in, and I was in need of support. <laughs> and you're right there. So I'm like, mm, can you call the doctor? <laughs> yeah, so so the, 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 the nurse chatted me on, on this G-chat um, and basically asked me, please come in. And I, so, okay. So, I'm sorry. We're just like throwing the perks in everyone's face. <laughs> we, were, we were both having to hold her down. That was a tough one. But um, because we believe in flu vaccines so okay so then (laughs) around three months later after my kids had gotten the flu vaccine there was a measles outbreak in certain communities in new york and certain communities in israel so this lady calls me up calls the clinic and has a question to ask and she says doctor for years i haven't vaccinated my children because as you know and everybody knows vaccines cause autism but now there's a measles outbreak and um, I always knew that doctors don't believe in vaccines and that doctors don't vaccinate their kids, but I saw you vaccinating your children. Um, so maybe you can answer me this question. Should I give my children the measles vaccines? And are there any other vaccines that you think I should be giving my children? Anything that won't give them autism. You know, so this patient came from a totally different background than the background that I have come from, has a totally different training than the training that I come from. Um, for the record, um, we have ample data that vaccines, including flu vaccines, have been the number one lifesaver in the history of medicine since for time and eternity. <laughs> well, anyway, instead, you know, I, I try to be a non-judgmental guy and even people have come from totally different worldviews than I do. I try to be all non-judgmental and listen, we're all people and, you know, we're all trying to have open communication. So I basically very sweetly, you know, told the lady this data. And then I said, if you want my opinion, I would personally recommend doing all the vaccines. And I, 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 most of the doctors I work with also vaccinate. But then I said, if you want to limit your vaccines and do the highest yield, then I would do the measles vaccine and mumps and rubella because those are the um, most important ones, and then I also recommended for the babe for her baby to do another vaccine. Do um, vaccines cause autism? No, they do not. There has been a study um, that has shown that vaccines do cause autism. However, the fact is that the study has been replicated afterwards multiple times with different results. And then the original publisher of the study that shows that vaccines cause autism had later been has later lost his medical license. Not because of this study, but because he had forged data in other studies. However, the it is likely that he had forged the data in his vaccine cause autism study due to the fact that very similar studies, bigger than his, have been redone and redone and redone, and all of them with the results that vaccines do not cause autism. So the final answer is vaccines do not cause autism. Vaccines save lives from life-threatening, life-debilitating diseases, such as polio, measles, mumps, which have been near eradicated. Wow, this entire podcast just took a huge dive over here. And now everyone knows our pro-vax position, which is kind of like, um, you know, almost a a difficult thing to say sometimes because you don't want to introduce this like, ah, we disagree and now things are, are different between us. But actually, that's the point of the conversation is that if you don't 
bring it up, then we can't, as providers, can't come back and say, well, it's very interesting that you have that that um, data. Let's talk about the information you have. Hmm, the information you have has been recalled and known to be falsified. And the person who originally said it has their medical license revoked. But I can see why you thought that because the data, you the, the information sources you were looking at were citing that as accurate. But the information sources that you were not aware of say this and this and this on, you know, on whatever topic, whether it be vaccines or not. But I think it's the, the, the important and crucial point of this story to me is that the she would have been embarrassed. She was embarrassed. She was trying to keep that a secret or trying to keep that from her medical team. Well, you said it was only one other time she'd met you. So probably, um, you know, it's it's hard to say what she was doing all those years. But without asking the question, then how can you engage in the conversation? And you have to build up that trust that when someone comes to you with a question, you don't say, oh, with ridicule, how could you believe that? And how could you think that? That's totally false. Well, I know how you can believe that because of the information you were presented and the, the content that you had known. And it is true that vaccines sometimes have side effects and that there are sometimes negative outcomes from some things that also have enormously positive outcomes. That is true. However, if you basically crunch the data, let's say you have a scale. On one side of the scale is the morbidity and mortality from vaccines and their side effects. On the other side of the scale is the morbidity and mortality of all of the diseases that would be prevented through vaccination. Clearly, the data show without any question that vaccines save thousands, thousands of lives. I think one of the other very timely issues of the year 2020 of COVID pandemic um, era is a question of where do we get our information from? Who do we trust? Who do we listen to? And how trustworthy is data? So I think the most important thing you can do is have a trusted healthcare provider that you have a rapport with, that you can go to questions. And when you're coming to an appointment to say, doctor, you recommended such and such surgery, but I, I don't really understand what it's going to do. I'm not sure that I know um, how long is it? How long is it going to take? How long is the time to wait in the hospital after? Will we be discharged home? What side effects can we expect or have you dealt with? And some of those questions, it's almost assumed, oh, well, this is the surgery. You should kind of like know what it is, know what it's about. Or you heard it one time from the doctor but you're like also had a toddler in your lap and maybe you didn't take all that information in. It's high stress. So what are some tips? What are some things that patients can do uh, when they're at the doctor's office in order to try and remember and retain some of the things that they get answers to from their questions? So something that I also find very important. So I mentioned before about how I personally highly respect and like really enjoy the visits where the patient comes in with a notepad and a list of questions. So some of these, you know, also a lot of patients, what they do is they have a paper or so and they write down the answer. You know, if they have a question, then in their notebook next to the question, they will write down the answer or they will take another paper and they will write down the answer. Sometimes when I'm talking to a patient and they're asking questions, I'm giving answers, and then it just seems to me like the patient's infused. What I will often do is I will then pull out a paper and then I will write all the important bullet points on the paper in an organized bullet point fashion, and then have the patient read it back to me to make sure that the patient understands it. Excellent. 
and or even draw a picture when you're explaining the different systems. I've done that too. Yeah, I think it's all important to also have all kinds of visual material, pictures, and written material. And this is something that providers, you know, we can prepare ahead of time and have pamphlets and booklets and printouts or even links that we have available. Kind of here are all the links about this procedure. Here are all the links about these devices. And then you can have those kind of templated uh, handouts to give people or tips. One of the earliest things I did when I started working uh, with cochlear implant patients is that I had this handout for activation that was here's what to expect at that, you know, for the next couple of days, here's what level or programs you're on. Uh, here are our biggest goals. And some of it was already in there and some of it I would change or, or circle or cross out or choose what was relevant to each uh, patient so that they could leave not only with um, a new hearing device that would be perhaps overwhelming and different and, you know, a big change, big milestone with activation day and all these different pieces and the equipment and everything that goes on in that day, they also had this paper, which also had our contact information, email address. That was the clinic email address that I had access to. And and that was, you know, something that I think was very appreciated. So if you're a provider, think of doing that and implementing some of these tips. And if you're a parent, take notes. And one of my favorite tips also is to take a video of how the audiologist puts a hearing aid in or how they put all the pieces together, or how they change the batteries, like all these little things that they're demonstrating to you at the time of the appointment, you can take a quick video, a quick clip, you know, ask permission that they're okay with it, and just get a little, uh, you know, a reference for yourself that's on your phone. And now, not only that, you can share that with your other family members, other care providers, maybe the school or anybody else who's going to be involved in caring for the device. And this is not only for parents, this advice also um, I gave also for our adult patients who were there with their children, their adult children, who were sometimes, they had a health aide. They had an aide with them or someone who helps take care of them, or maybe they were in an assisted living facility or things like that, so that this written information or that video or those emails could be easily moved around and passed to the other people who are helping to care for them. So, no dumb questions. Ask more questions. Whether or not you're on this side or that side of the interaction, you know, both sides of the desk, I think it's it's an important topic for us to talk about not having so much um, of a barrier and so much of this kind of uh, power dynamic, but making medicine, making the delivery of healthcare much more of a partnership, patient-centered, family-centered, and about shared decision-making, making decisions together. The providers are experts in their fields and parents are experts in their children. That is uh, one of the posts I put up on Instagram, got a lot of comments from you guys about times that you did feel respected and like your expertise as a parent was seen, you were asked questions and you were respected for the things because parents spend the most, most, most amount of time with their kids than anyone else. And most especially when we're in uh, all kinds of remote learning situations and homeschooling and Zoom schooling and pandemic life. Basically, if anybody knows your kid, it's you even before all that, you know. So when that expertise is, is respected and seen for the value of what it is, that's when these relationships can be really productive. And then on the other side, the people who 
train for years and years, do extra training, do years of residencies and higher education and graduate school and all the things that professionals do and train and clinical hours in order to become experts in our field, that also needs to be respected. And so when we come from this whole outlook of respecting one another's expertise, then we're a team and we work together and we respect each other's humanity and each other's experiences and perspective. Yeah, and a, a line that I often both believe in and tell patients when they sometimes tell me stories about specialty scene is that the do- the, your doctor should be a source of information. Your doctor should not be your army gen. It is not that the doctor commands you follow. That should not be the correct re- um, relationship that a person should have with the doctor. Because otherwise, you'll be afraid to ask your questions, and the doctor will say something, and hmm, what do you say? I have to do exactly what he says because he knows best, and I don't want to bother him, and I must do what he says, otherwise they will fall down on me. No, you know, doctors are human beings, and oftentimes, a doctor will give a recommendation based on the information, but the more open communication you have, the more information the doctor is going to have and the better recommendation he's going to have. And it should be a two-way communicative relationship with your healthcare provider who is a source of information rather than the army general of doctor says, take A, B, C, you do what doctor says, bye. And then sometimes patients will even tell me, um, can you do the blood work on Wednesday and not Tuesday? Because if I go to the specialist and he, I don't see exactly as he gave me, he's going to be angry. And I'm like, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll do anything for you. <laughs> but this specialist is here to basically give an expert opinion on your heart. This, is a, this case happens to be a cardiologist. Um, so I just tell the patient, you know, I know what the I, I know what they're going to write. In my, it's not going to matter whether it's on Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I, I also kind of knew ninety percent of what the cardiologist was going to say. I was in doubt about one particular point, which again brings to the point of the fact that everyone's asking questions. Here I am in attending, and here I am you know, asking questions of a cardiologist, sending a patient to a cardiologist to ask a very specific question, which I personally just did not have enough information, expertise, or experience to know the answer and want this patient to get the absolute best. Good. Yeah. And that brings us to also the thing that I often say on this show and otherwise, which is that if you're not comfortable with a healthcare provider, if you don't like your doctor, or if you think someone was disrespectful or curt or wasn't listening to you, You have every right as a patient, as a parent, to get a second opinion, to go to a different practice, to switch doctors. This is such an important point. And I think that not a lot of people recognize that because there is this kind of authority built in to, well, I mean, they're my doctor and they helped me and they did this for me and they did that. And and like leaving them would be a rude thing or or an ungrateful thing patients leave me all the time <laughs> do what's best for you patients patients switch to me all the time patients leave me and go to the senior doctor all the time do what you want yeah and uh another piece of this is that in OBGYN care a lot of pregnant people might experience um difficulty with their pregnancy care and then they feel well i've already had six or seven or ten appointments with this provider, then they must be also the attending um, at the birth, which, you know, you can switch care providers at any point in time. And if you're not happy, it's just I'm telling myself things now that I wish I knew at some points in uh, in previous. So a lot of my my work here and my advocacy for this comes from my own personal experience of 
of feeling disrespected and unseen and unheard and felt like I was being um, told what to do. And it was like, what do you know? You're just the actual patient. But I, doctors and surgeons and all sorts of people saying, I know for you. And, I don't, and, and not only that, but I know everything and I'm not going to explain it to you. And I'm not going to take the time to make sure that you understand or feel comfortable um, so that is horrible care. It was terrible. Yeah, absolutely horrible. I've been traumatic. a doctor. I've been a doctor now for almost four years. I, you know, I'm not coming from absolutely nowhere. That's horrible care. I mean, it was very horrible. Okay, but anyway, we're not focusing on that today. Just bringing that up to to uh, let you know that you're not alone. And even if in the past you felt like there was some of that kind of relationship where it was like, you know, ah, I can't leave. I can't. I can't just like, well, are they going to give me my medical records or we're already halfway through candidacy, so we kind of have to go with this surgeon. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can go to another surgeon. You can go to a different hospital. I mean, you know, in the times where there's access to that, and I fully recognize that not everyone has the luxury of having, you know, multiple cochlear implant centers near where they live. Um you know, but this goes for anything. This goes for your pediatrician, uh, your speech therapist, anybody who's giving care to your child. You need to feel comfortable and safe and cared for with them. A line I've often told people and patients, a doctor is like your plumber. You know, if you, if you hire a plumber you know, to fix your sink, you, well, if you like your plumber's service, then keep your plumber and continue to hire your plumber to your sink. If let's say you're unhappy with the plumber either because they don't come on time or every time you they fix your sinks, um, then hire a different plumber. So doctor-patient relationship should be the same exact thing. And yes, you know, yeah, patients leave me sometimes because they happen to not like my plumbing skills. <laughs> but, um, that's, you know, it's the same thing with a doctor. You know, you are paying your doctor for them to help you. Yeah, seeing them you, as a service provider, yeah. They are providing service to you the same way your plumber is providing even though you're not paying them directly you know in the states or wherever you are you know you're paying the insurance company the insurance company pays them you're basically paying your doctor to help you if you don't like your doctor same way you don't like your plumber fire the plumber and hire a different plumber same thing you don't like your care provider fire them and go find a different yup so let's ask more questions let's take back more of our power in these kinds of situations and and actually make it that it's not really about a power differential or a power dynamic. You know, don't minimize yourself as as the expert that you are. Again, I, you know, a lot of times I feel like I'm speaking to our two segments of, of the audiology world and the audiology experience. I talk a lot to parents and through my workshops and through other work that I do one-on-one -on -one with families. And I also am deeply passionate about my colleagues and I having conversations about our profession. So in the All About Audiology community, we are dedicated to listening and hearing from both sides. And I want to invite you to a new program that is going to be three Zoom discussions um, we're going to be talking about a lot of these issues in depth and sharing your own experience and coming together from both sides. A lot of parents, when you're on that side of it, um, you're, you're wonderful to have the resources of local support groups and online support groups, which are with other parents. And that is so valuable. And I highly recommend that you surround yourself with people who are on this journey, who are on this path, especially people who are a bit, a bit ahead of you and those who are far ahead of you. So you can 
get some of their experience and advice and and uh, learn from their journeys and also you know peers that are going with through it with you maybe taking a um, infant care class a parent infant um, class or things like that to to have that kind of peer support and that's awesome it really is I I really love that and I'm I'm so grateful to be able also to come in and and teach and give workshops to nonprofit organizations that are parent-led and support groups for parents and then on the other side we have you know, all of our professional associations as audiologists. We have our audiology Facebook groups and we have all of our conferences and our journals and we talk to each other a lot, which is great because we're developing best practices and doing research and, and learning from one another. That's wonderful. But I believe that there's a mismatch here. There's something missing. So that's why I created this program. You know, we've been talking on the podcast all this time and in the Facebook group. So I want to invite you to join us. This is going to be quite a small group, um, an intimate setting where we can do this and hear from both sides so that we can help each other find the language that would that would have helped us or that is going to help us in the future to care for the children in our care, whether they are our children and we are their parents or they are the children that we care for in a professional sense and provide service for. And that conversation, I think, needs to happen in this kind of safe container that's going to be these uh, live calls and a community. There's going to be other elements to it. So if you're interested, definitely reach out, come into the Facebook group, the Instagram page. You can always send me messages through the website. And I hope that I'll see some of you in hearing from both sides. It's going to be transformational. Yona, thank you so much for joining me for this podcast episode. It's been my pleasure again. Awesome. You're really a wonderful guest and um, you give me great ratings. So <laughs> why thank you? Come again. We'll have to hear the reviews. On... I'm Dr. Lilach Saverstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast.